What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Book Talk Lounge, the place where you come to nurture your life and spirit through conversations about books and the experience of reading. Brought to you by the Reader Lounge. I am your host, Emiliano, and this is episode number 16 of the show. Today's episode brings you a great conversation that I had with Nick Shaw. Nick is an American entrepreneur, founder and CEO of RP Periodization, a diet and fitness company. He's also the author of Fit for Success. This episode with Nick was originally recorded back in early 2021 for my current personal podcast show, The Transformation Journey. The ideas and lessons that I talk about with Nick in today's episode continue, of course, to be very relevant in the present. And that's why you're now finding this really memorable conversation on the Book Talk Lounge. So now, make sure that you get ready to listen and enjoy this very valuable and great conversation with Nick Shaw. So Nick, thank you for, for coming on my show on the transformation journey. Um, and well, today I want to talk with you mostly about your book, Fit for Success. Um, but I would like to start with an introduction. And what I usually do with my guests uh, for, for the podcast is that I, I they introduce themselves through a story. So I would like you to tell us a bit about yourself and what you do, but through, the, through telling us the story about your experience in early 2020, uh, about the, the tough um, experience you had in, in that stage of your life. Yeah, sure. So January 2020, uh, a few days before my son's uh, eighth birthday, uh, he's now nine, uh, my wife was diagnosed with uh, aggressive form of breast cancer. So that's, uh, that's not great news. And so she had uh, surgery in February. I was in the hospital from some complications for, for about a week or so from that surgery. So not really that great of times really in 2020. And then she started chemo in March of 2020, which is right at, right in the beginning of March, 2020. And then, well, of course we all know what happened later on in March, 2020 uh, COVID hit. So boy, it was really like this, just series of punches to the gut in the first you know few months of 2020 and rather than sort of, you know, be the victim, woe is me, oh, things are so bad, life is so tough, we, we, we took a little bit different approach to things and, you know, kind of just, you know, luckily I'd been reading a lot and sort of just thinking about like what made people successful and how people are, you know, whether it's fitness, because that's my background, of course, running a fitness company, uh, whether it's business, whether it's overcoming uh, obstacles, adversity, there seem to be these series of traits and habits that successful people have, and it's sort of universal. And so, you know, it's one thing to kind of think about all this and, you know, that's great. Don't get me wrong. But then when you really are like forced to have to live, you know, through something pretty dang crappy, it really it forces your hand a little bit. And you kind of have to take all those things that you think you might know, or, you know, of course you're going to learn along the way, but it really forces you to live those principles every single day and so that was, you know, you always try to take, you always try to make the best, right, of a bad situation. And that's really what we tried to do. And ultimately, you know, we were able to get through 2020. And that's was basically my motivation to write the book because I was stuck at home for three or four months, quarantine, not really going anywhere, not doing anything. You know, my wife is going through chemo. It's like we literally couldn't go out because you know, March, April, May of 2020, like we really didn't know all that much about COVID. So like everyone was really unsure and all that. 
So again, why not make the, the best of a bad situation and rather than just sitting at home and, you know, oh, what was me? Uh, like, no, I was going to do something about it. And that's when I took the time to write the rough draft and you know, essentially get the book out. Because I knew I wanted to get it out before 2020 was over because I knew, you know, not just me was going through some tough times, but literally everyone in the mm-hmm. world was going through tough times. And so I just thought it would be uh, something good to share with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, uh, last year, well, no, actually this year was like the toughest stage of the pandemic since, um, I mean, I my, myself uh, haven't been affected directly by the pandemic um, other than not having gone to school for more than a year, almost two years now. But in January of this year, my grandpa got sick of COVID but he's a, a doctor so he was uh going to the hospital last year almost daily um and he's 80 years old so he was pretty healthy um but yeah so because he was very exposed to to the virus then he got sick like five days after his birthday in january and so during three months he was like in a in a tough stage which also made it tough for me for my family for my mom especially um but if, for me it, it was also like uh, a process of like actually applying um things applying like the idea of serving and helping because it was like the first time i could i could actually help my grandpa and my family in in other ways but yeah i mean i i, I think i get it, that many times it's we apply stuff or we change because we need to not necessarily because we want to and my grandpa right now is is good he's uh on his job again and most things are right um but yeah it was it it was something tough um and you mentioned that by the time that like covid uh hit and by the time you you started like the process to fight uh your wife's cancer Uh, you already knew like certain lessons or you had already uh, wisdom about certain subjects and that helped you face this challenge in another way. When did that start? When did you start to learn all these lessons that have been like helping you face challenges and then write your book? Uh, Probably a couple of years ago, really started getting into reading as much as I could. Uh, so I had a hernia surgery in the fall of 2018 and I couldn't lift. I couldn't do anything, which for me, like I, I love lifting. That's my background. It's mm-hmm. what I sort of grew up doing, whatever. Uh, that's how I got into company that I run now. It's all based on fitness, but I couldn't do that for a while because I just had surgery. And so the only thing I could do was walk. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll just start walking. It's the only thing I can do. Uh, but I started listening to a bunch of audiobooks, and it kind of got me hooked. And I started and I just couldn't stop. And I was like, wow, I'm learning a lot. I can't believe you know, I didn't do this before, but uh, I probably couldn't have done it before because I was like so busy working in the business. But once I was able to you know, get some other people to help and sort of build some better systems in place that I didn't have to you know, be so hands-on, it was really cool because I feel like I've learned so much. And, you know, for example, you know, you can read books on you know, self-development. You can read books on business. You can read books on fitness. But some of the principles overlap. And, and that's what really started to stand out to me. And I started just making notes in my phone. And I was like, huh, this seems pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then I would read another book, totally unrelated. And I'm like, that's 
seems to sound a lot like this other thing that I wrote down. And so I would just start making a bunch of notes from everything. And then lo and behold, I, you know, I probably had like 10 main points written down over the course of, you know, like a year, a year and a half or so. And then I started to kind of distill that down into what became like the seven main habits in my book. And then I built a pyramid around it because, you know, with the pyramid, you have to have your, you know, your foundation first, because if you don't have that, well, then your total pyramid is just smaller. And so in, in RP, our fitness company, that's what we do with a lot of the, whether it's nutrition or training or recovery, we have that same methodology, which basically have a pyramid. So you can kind of visualize what things are more important than other things. And so that's what I tried to lay out. And that's ultimately what led to the, uh, the rough draft and the, what was the framework of the book. Mm -hmm. You know, just before getting into the book and actually into the base of the pyramid, I would like to ask you, when did your love for lifting and for fitness start? I was a teenager. Mm -hmm, nice. Yeah, so I, I had a brother that was four years older than me. Uh, so my parents had this really old, uh, rickety set of weights, and he was training for sports in high school. So I started training with him. And then uh, I, I always loved sports. So yeah, I played sports in high school and whatever. Uh, I was not very athletically gifted, uh, to put it mildly. So, you know, I wasn't very talented in any particular sport. But uh, I did realize, though, that if I just worked a lot harder than other people, I could you know, kind of keep up or, you know, I could be okay. And that was really this light bulb that went off for me where I was like, huh, like most people don't really like to work out that much. You know, they'll play sports and they just kind of, lift or you know they'll work out to you know because they know they have to but i just love the idea and for me it was really cool because you know i would i guess for lack of a better way of saying this i would just outwork other people and it's not because i was more talented of course but it's just because i love the process i love getting better and i, I realized that hey you know if i do xyz if i put in all this work well here are the outcomes that i get and i can keep doing that to, to keep getting better and you know and, Yeah, I always wanted to kind of stand out. Like that was just my big thing. I've never really wanted to be average or anything. And so for me, I was like, wow, if I just keep working really hard, keep doing all these things, like that's what literally, what that's what drew me into fitness from a real early age. So I guess I was fortunate to maybe have that mindset all along. Mm -hmm. So since the young age, you started to develop this success habits, which then led you also to be successful with your company and to write the book. And well, The first habit is uh, hard work, and I like an analogy you give in in, the, in this first chapter in which we talk about hard work, which is that, well, I, I actually want to read it, um, but you talk about how hard work is like thrust in a rocket, and I, I really loved that, that analogy. So you say, um, it doesn't matter how advanced the rocket navigation system or how amazing the, sat the satellite payload might be in the engine, the thrust to take it into space is missing. So basically here you're saying that action, well, hard work is what actually creates success. Um, I would like you to, di uh, to dive into that, to then ask you, another, well, actually I want to ask it right away. What do you think, like, of uh, the difference between hard work and, and smart work. Um, how do you relate them? Yeah, so they're definitely related. Uh, I guess at some level, hard work, here's why hard work is so important, why it's the base of the pyramid, because without hard work, like without actually putting things into action, you don't really get anything. 
you can sit and think about things all day long, but until you actually apply those. So for example, you know, people listening to this podcast probably like to read books and that's great. That's awesome. You can learn a lot, but if you don't take that knowledge and then apply it, and I'm not saying you have to apply every single thing from every single book, because that might be damn near impossible. But what I like to do is, you know, I'll read a book and I'll, at the end of the book, I'll kind of write down like, all right, what's one big thing that I took away from Mm -hmm. this book? And so a lot of times I'll just try to use that one thing and I'll try to apply it in, in my own life. So for example, the last few months, I've been reading a bunch of, you know, personal finance books. So what did I do? Well, I mean, I've had, you know, various investment accounts, whatever set up on my own, but I just started tweaking them a little bit. So I'm like, oh, hey, like, you know, I read this and this book, read this and this book. So I'm going to, you know, like, that's something fairly simple, but it's not just taking the knowledge and then doing nothing with it. I actually took that knowledge and then I actually applied it. And so like, that's one example. And that's just what I like to do because again, ideas by themselves, they're really nothing. But if you take those ideas and then actually apply that hard work, because, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start your own business, whatever, you can have all the smart, smart work in the world. Right. But at some level, like you just have to mm-hmm. be in there and doing that hard work. Like there's, at some point, there's just no way around it. Usually that's at the start and you just got to work your tail off all the time until you can create a little bit of success get a little bit of momentum, and then maybe you start getting more and more help in there. Now, maybe then you start to apply a bit more of that smart work. You start automating things, you have more systems, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, there just has to be this just, you know, hands-on, you just got to do stuff. You just got to get it done. I don't think there's really any way around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, action is pretty pretty straightforward. Um... Yeah. Well, that's why it's the shortest chapter in the book, really. Yeah. It's the, most, it's the shortest because it's like, well, I mean, how much can you say about hard work? Like at some point, you just got to get out there and do stuff. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then like for me, hard, well, smart work is like actually working hard, but in the in the right things. And that's, I, I think that's something you acknowledge um, in the chapter about purpose, but also in the chapter about <clears throat> Um, the internal locus of control and this was well like these words the internal locus of control were like a new concept for me because like that idea um, was the idea wasn't new for me because I had read it on the seven habits of highly effective people but like before reading the chapter it sounded like maybe even something uh, very difficult or um, yeah, something I wouldn't understand. But now that I like get what you mean by the internal locus of control, it's basically a circle of influence, uh, which Stephen Covey talks about in, in his book. Could you talk a little bit more about like the internal locus of control and how that relates to the smart work and how and the hard work we were talking about? Yeah, so real quick, I can go back uh, one step further than that. I actually remember reading Seven Habits of Success. I was actually listening to the audio book, but I can remember the exact time. I remember actually exactly where I was walking when I was reading that chapter on being proactive. And he was actually talking about Viktor Frankl, and I hadn't yet read uh, Man's Search for Meaning. But uh, for me, it was uh, this slight epiphany. I was like, huh, wow, that is a really important concept. And it's very much related to internal locus of control. Now, again, yeah, most people are like, I've never heard that exact phrase before, but they know what it means in general. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, your, your sort of circle of, of influence, yeah. So, essentially what it means is 
do you believe that your actions have an impact on what occurs, right? So a really easy example, the weather. Okay, we can't control the weather. So do we let a bad weather day get us really upset? We shouldn't because we have no control over it, right? Like you can't control the weather. I don't care who you are. You can't do it. So why waste your energy focusing on something you can't control? It doesn't make any sense. But what can we control? Let's say if it's raining. All right, wear, well, wear some rain boots. You know, wear a rain jacket. Take an umbrella with you. These are all things you can control. You actually have control over those. Now, again, you have to have those things, I suppose. But Or let's say you have to drive somewhere. Well, if you know the weather is going to be bad, and you can't control that, so why would you get upset about that? You have no control over it, so you have to think to yourself, okay, no control over this. What do I actually have control over? All right, well, guess what? I'm going to leave early because I know it's going to take a few minutes longer to get to work or whatever, you know? Or the same with traffic. You know, for the love of God, you can't control traffic, you know? Most people can anyways. Maybe if you're, you know, a really famous person, you can have like, you know, an escort or something and they'll take you through all the stoplights or whatever. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, if you know these things, just leave a little bit earlier. So that's really just what it comes down to. And when you focus too much on external things that you, you have no control over, man, it just leads to a lot of bad outcomes. When you focus on the things you can control, you just feel a lot better. You have more hope. Again, this leads into positive mindset. You have more hope, you're more optimistic because you know that things you do are going to positively impact your outcomes in your own life. I would like to unpack two things here. And like the first one is that you also talk about like, yeah, it is important to focus on what you can control, but like taking too much ownership could be counterproductive. Um, Yeah, where does that uh, like idea come from? What's like the the, the thing and the way of thinking there? So, I mean, with all things, there's there's a little bit of a balance and there's a dichotomy. So you have to you can really take anything too far, right? So if we go back to work ethic, well, you could just work so hard that you wear yourself down, you get injured, or you burn out, or whatever. So that's why you kind of have to balance the work ethic with the very top of the pyramid in the book. With the idea of recharge. So again, you can apply this to any concept in the book. You can be too disciplined. You can, you know, have too much purpose and meaning because maybe you get a little bit of, uh, you know, tunnel vision. You're not focusing on other things. So really any concept in the book taken to the extremes, you could potentially have some adverse outcomes. So if you only focus on like yourself and only focus on the things you can control, You, you can take that too far and now maybe you're missing some other things. Like maybe you're missing what the competition's doing. And I'm not saying you have to mm. focus so much on what other people are doing, but you can't be totally blindsided by everything, right? Like you have to, and that's where the balance comes in. So there has to be a little bit of, you know, hey, we know this is really important. So let's focus on it. But at the same time, let's not also ignore everything else. Mm -hmm. certainly one thing I loved from your book is that you don't talk only about like black and white you talk about like uh, gray colors and in the middle which are like the the midpoints like not taking too much ownership but not taking not not taking ownership and the other thing which I wanted to unpack was that you also talk about empowering others and yeah like giving them autonomy and then 
after reading this, I was like reflecting. When you empower others, the the internal locus of control of each individual should rise. And does this well? Do you think this makes like the collective internal locus of control rise uh, too? Yeah, almost certainly, right? So if any job you've ever had in your life before, think about if your boss is like just over your shoulder all the time, basically telling you exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. And you really didn't have any, you don't really have any control over it, right? Because you're just doing what someone else tells you to. It's just, it leads to worse outcomes. I don't know too many people that are going to stay in that given job for a really long time, nor are they going to care about their job. And for them, it is just a job. It's really not maybe even a career. It's almost certainly not their, you know, passion. It's just something they do to make some money, right? But if you just kind of say, hey, here's what we're trying to do. What do you think is the best way to do it? And they go, oh, well, you know, I think X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay, that actually sounds pretty good. Great. Now go and do it. Because you kind of gave them like the overall bigger picture, but now you're not sitting there telling people you must do it this way because guess what here's the tricky part their way of doing it might be better than yours and that is a really tough pill to swallow especially if you have a big ego but like if you can get past that a little bit you make hey here's what i think what do you think they share their ideas you go huh well Maybe I like this part of my idea, but guess what? The idea, you know, the, this part of your idea is a lot better than mine. And so again, like you, you give people that autonomy, you let them help make choices. And now again, they have ownership in it because it's now their idea or at least partly their idea. So they're more likely to put in more work and more effort on it versus just being told what to do because nobody likes that. Mm -hmm. uh, recently I was watching a video on YouTube, which talked about like the culture, the company culture in Netflix. And in the video, uh, the guy said that, like the CEO of Netflix doesn't um, give extra money for following through with a way of like, uh, accomplishing a certain goal. Um, and he doesn't give extra money as an incentive, uh, or nor anything else, because he thinks that like, giving a reward for following through with a certain way of doing something a pre-established way um, doesn't allow innovation and what they want is innovation and then autonomy um, also empowers innovation right or how have you also applied that into your company it should right because if you give people the freedom to make choices again It's better because if you only follow what one person has to say, no one person knows everything, right? And again, this kind of goes back to the whole ego thing. But now all of a sudden you bring in other smart people. And now you've got a team of five or 10 you know, really smart people working together on how to solve whatever the problem is. You're not just locked on one idea because now you have maybe five or 10 different ideas. And if you can sort of sift through those and be like, all right, well, these couple sound really good. Maybe these others don't. And so you kind of collectively decide on whatever, like that's how better things are going to get done versus again, you, if you limit your options and choices to a certain degree, 
you're probably mm -hmm. not going to have as good of outcomes. But if you're more open-minded and you listen to other people's ideas, and now if they do make sense, right, like if people, are, it has to make sense, and then they have to be able to kind of explain why, but if they can do all these things, you're probably going to have better outcomes. So you're not as, as locked in, you're not as laser focused. Well, now I um, would like you to like dive into another concept of the book, which is related to this one, which is like the idea, well, the difference between a job, um, a career and a calling. And you also talked about how for an employee, it might be like a job might be just a job, but when he's given autonomy, then it's maybe more than a job. Um, could you explain a little bit more about this three ideas about the job, about a career, and about um, a calling, and, and then also how do you find the, the right calling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a little bit to unpack there. So a job, job is just kind of something you show up to do, right? Like you need to make some money because you want to go buy some stuff. And you just... You don't really care. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but it's just something you do because you know you have to do it. You're like, all right, how am I going to make money otherwise? So you're all right, well, I'm going to go, you know, work at McDonald's. Okay, that's probably more like a job. Now, I mean, maybe someone just loves hamburgers so much that that could be, you know, a calling. Maybe. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, of course. Perfectly fine. But uh, usually, like, for me, I love fitness. So if I had a, if I had a job or career in fitness, And now you know, I'm kind of making my own decisions, running my own business. Like that, that very quickly becomes a call. And not everyone can run their own business or whatever. But if you take something that you really like, you can somehow turn that into something that's going to make you money and you can make a, a living out of it. Well, you probably have a calling because you really love what you're doing. If I was a, a corporate lawyer and I don't, you know, I don't like that stuff. That's probably just going to be more of a job slash career, you know? So job is just, you show up, you just need to make some money. Like this is the kind of whatever the basis that you just kind of have to do it. Now a career is like, you know, maybe someone like their parent really wants them to become a doctor. They kind of like medicine or whatever. So they do it, you know, because their dad's been a doctor and their grandpa's been a doctor and all that stuff. So they just kind of do it because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And, you know, maybe they enjoy it a little bit, maybe they don't, but, you know, they know that's just kind of their career path and, you know, they'll maybe keep getting promoted along the way, you know, maybe someday they start their own partnership or whatever, their own medical facility. But like, is that truly their passion? Uh, maybe that person's passion is, is he just loves to be outdoors hiking or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now that is maybe his true calling, But again, like, how do you make that into a job? I don't know. You, you'd have to be creative about how you do that. But again, that's how, you know, some people, they work in this whatever profession for 20, 30 years, and then they end up just being, you know, one day they're like, I'm done. So I can't do this anymore because their quote unquote, their passion, their calling is in something else. But they just didn't, you know, want to risk that early on because maybe it didn't make sense. But now maybe they've had that career, they've saved money, they've done you know, X, Y, Z, and they've paid off their house. They don't have much debt or whatever. Now they can sort of explore these passion things. But again, th that's probably those differences between job, career, and then your true calling. One idea I also want to like bring into the conversation now, um, because I related a lot to all these three things 
is um the are, are the lessons of like focus and discipline and also like purpose and passion how do you well and you i think you talk about this in the chapter uh about uh purpose and you talk about like how too much purpose and not focusing also on the action might be counterproductive um yeah could, could you dive into into that and maybe also like connect it to the idea of a, of a career yeah so if you're just so so passionate so focused on something it's entirely possible you can be again we go back to that tunnel vision you're just so focused that like i don't even know let's say you want to make a career out of hiking and something mm -hmm. and because you just love it you just love it so much that you just can't picture yourself doing anything else maybe there's just no real way you can make money out of that but you just keep putting your time and resources or whatever into it and you don't realize that kind of sunk cost right that like you just keep pouring all this into it but it's probably not going to create a good roi and you probably can't make a living out of it like that would probably be a good example of your purpose going too far Because you're just like, I love this. This is what I need to do. But at the same time, it has to make realistic sense. You know, again, that's why I would actually probably say, you know, if you're something like if you if your passion, your calling is really in something, but maybe it's hard to make money in that, it's perfectly okay to have a job or career. And again, you just start saving a little bit. You, you know, you just keep building up that because you know, maybe long term you want to do that passion. But Again, if you're 20 years old and you don't have any money and, you know, if you have a family or you have kids or whatever, like you probably can't do that because it doesn't make sense, right? Like you kind of have to play the long game. You're like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to get this job or this career doing something that maybe I don't love, but guess what? You know, I can make pretty good money and I'm going to save a bunch on the side because I know long-term I want to do this, but it probably doesn't make sense to do, you know, if I just had a kid or something, because I want to be able to make sure that, you know, I can provide for my family or whatever. So that's probably that, that balance, right? This goes back to balance. So you kind of have to balance that passion versus, you know, being realistic. A little mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. And how do you apply? Uh, well, yeah. How you perform in each state of, in each stage of the, of the journey. And well, I think this applies for many people who actually have defined the purpose for themselves or a, or a passion or a vision, but there are many people, um, or many parts of each individual, including me, like that we do not have a, a very clear, a really clear purpose. And I like one quote uh, you uh, added in the book, which is a quote by Viktor Frankl actually. And it says something like, like right now, everyone has the means, well, most people have the means to leave, but they have not got any meaning. Why did you like decide to add that quote? What was it from that quote that resonated to then add it in the book? Yeah, a lot of people just go on with life, just kind of, you know, willy nilly, ah, you know, just there's no real like purpose or meaning behind their life. And I think that's a mistake at some point. Now, again, we have to have that little bit of balance in there. Not everyone can do everything that they love. Of course, it's probably just not realistic. But I think if you can eventually work towards something that you really love doing and how, honestly, maybe you do have a career that you don't necessarily love, but maybe your purpose or meaning is, you know, just helping people out on the side. Like it, maybe it doesn't even have to be a business. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, a career. It doesn't have to be everything that you do, but, you know, maybe it's just giving back. Maybe it's helping people. Maybe it's, you know, 
volunteering at a local, whatever that is, but do those things. If you really love them, go ahead and do them. You know, my wife really loves, uh, actually because of 2020, now she's like really into gardening. She never really was before, but guess what? You have this huge life, you know, huge thing in your life that happens kind of makes you rethink some stuff and you go, huh, you know what? Maybe I'm okay working a little bit less and I want to spend, you know, more time outdoors gardening or whatever. Like that's, that's kind of what it means. Don't get so caught up on, you know, building your own career or whatever that you don't at least do some of the things they really love to do. Something I have read like many times in personal development books is that like you, you gotta define some values and the purpose for yourself and that's it for your life. Like you never change it. Um, any any time in the future but what do you think about that so you you actually believe that as you go through life you gotta adapt and like um rethink what is important for you and what what do you actually do with your life when you when you have it in in the present moment yeah sure i mean i think as you as you as anyone ages matures all that stuff like what you really value is, is probably going to change I don't think that's a negative thing by any means. It's perfectly normal. Um, you know, five, 10 years ago, or actually, yeah, let's say 10 years ago, I thought bodybuilding was literally the only thing in life. I couldn't understand why anyone would want to do anything besides bodybuilding. And then, you know, I'd, whatever, we had one kid and I was like, wow, this is really tough to do. And then, um, you know, my daughter was born and I was like, you know what? Our, like, our business was just starting to take off a little bit. And I kind of thought to myself, well, bodybuilding, like I don't make any money, nor am I ever probably going to make any money. And in fact, I have to pay to compete and do all this. Whereas huh, I can actually make some money in this uh, new business. And, you know, I, now I have two kids. Like uh, it's really tough to balance all these things. So I kind of thought to myself, huh, like maybe I don't have to be an amateur bodybuilder. I can still work out. I still love working out. Don't get me wrong, but you know, like things change, priorities change. I think that's perfectly fine. And for most people, that's perfectly normal and, and should happen. Priorities change. I like that. And following through with those priorities is, well, we, we could talk about that as discipline, which is another habit in the book. And I like that you, explain or talk about discipline in the book like uh with the with the idea that it is um like tapping into that power within to like accomplish or complete a task or or an activity when you do not feel like that but then something that i was thinking is that like um for many things we gotta actually or, or, or well that's my perspective but for many things we gotta actually feel in a certain way to to perform well and i would say one example of this is um speaking or yeah giving conferences and all that many times you gotta actually feel your well resonate with your message to to be able to share it in uh in the right way so what do you think about that when is like discipline right and when is it like better to um change like Hats or the way you approach a task? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, so real quick, we talk about the passion a little bit. So if you have passion, because you just really love doing something, that's going to make discipline a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. 
And now I didn't say a lot easier. And I thought about that for a second because I almost said a lot easier. But that's not true. It's going to make it a little bit easier because there's just going to be some days. I don't care what you're doing. Now, again, I, I know fitness. That's my background. You can be the most into fitness person that you want. You're, there's just going to be some days when you don't feel like working out. Or workouts are just going to be a grind. And you can have all the discipline in the world, but that's still the case. It's still just going to be a grind. So that passion only helps you so far. So, you know, how do you kind of balance that? When should you maybe not be as disciplined? Well, I think you got to be realistic. And if it, it sort of goes back to that sunk cost idea, right? So if you're working for that you know, career in outdoor hiking or whatever it is, just go back to that example. It's not to put down that by any means. But like, if it's just not paying off, like you just can't find a way to make a living out of it. Like you can be as disciplined as you want, but maybe that's just discipline going too far. And you just need to kind of shift your path and focus elsewhere. I think I can connect this idea of knowing where you pl place your focus um, with uh, a term you, you explained in the book, which is optimism bias. And this was new for me, but uh, still it was like something not mind-blowing, but actually powerful and uh, something which makes sense. Could you like explain what optimism bias is and also like dive into how not to fall into this bias? So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start your own business or something, you have to be optimistic, right? Like you're starting something new, like you don't know if it's going to work out or not. So you kind of have to be biased towards being optimistic. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's largely a good thing. However, right, we're always talking about balance. There's always this dichotomy between things here. So if you're so optimistic that if people are sort of giving you some warnings, hey, maybe that's not a good idea to do X, Y, and Z. And you're just like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is going to work. Just trust me. Like, I really believe it. Well, you could make some bad decisions, So again, this goes back to, it's usually a good idea to have some other smart people around you that maybe you can bounce some ideas off because they're going to say, hey, you know what? I love your optimism here. I think these two things that you were talking about, great. They're, they're very good. You should do these. But you know, this third one, maybe that doesn't work so well. Maybe we need to rethink that a little bit. That's just applying a little bit of that balance so you're not so biased towards optimism that you still have to be realistic as to what might actually happen. So again, you just have to balance those a little bit so you're not willing to just dive into maybe some really dumb ideas, more or less. That's probably the best way to, uh, to, to describe it. Yeah, have you read a book by John Maxwell? It is called uh, How Successful People Think. Uh, I have not. I know who uh, Maxwell is, but I don't know if I've read that one. Yeah, I read that book about a year and a half ago or something like that and in that book he talks about 11 ways successful people think and he mentions two ways and one of them is like optimistic thinking but also another is realistic thinking and i would say this is like realistic optimism to not and like one thing um i i reflect uh, from this is that like optimism Like also, well, yeah, optimism bias does not allow you like to actually take negative stuff in. And maybe some people could um, like perceive failure as something negative. But you talk about how 
failure is actually good if you learn from it and then pivot or iterate. Um, could you talk also about this idea of how like failure is a good thing if you know how to learn from it and move on? Yeah, so a lot of these ideas are interconnected. So mm -hmm. they are. When we go back, when we go back to work ethic, a lot of people are so afraid of failure that they never even get started, right? They never even apply their ideas. So that's probably not great. Now you have to be balanced and you have to have some caution. You have to, you know, balance that optimism bias a little bit so you don't just dive in and do stupid things. But you have to know going in, whatever you're trying to do, you're not going to be perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail a little bit. Now, the key is to not necessarily be so discouraged by, you know, some failures, some setbacks that you totally quit, but what do you learn from them, right? Because we know, and you have to know, you're going to make some mistakes. So what happens when you do make a mistake? All right, well, what went wrong? What can we learn from it? Let's not repeat that again, because now it's happened, right? This happened okay, now we need to fix this, do these, these three things. Okay, great. This isn't going to happen again. Well, now you're probably going to be more successful. Now you fix those three things. Now you move on. Now you make another mistake. And now maybe you have to fix five things. But like, that's just how it works. Mm -hmm. like, I don't care who you are. Uh, boy, we learned that the hard way in software development. It's just kind of permanently playing like whack-a-mole with like little things that, you know, pop up and happen. Like, that's just kind of how it is. You talk to anyone else in software development, they're like, yeah, that's pretty much just how it goes. So you just have to expect failure is going to happen. And, you know, try to minimize it as much as you can. Learn from your mistakes, don't repeat them, but just simply no other way around it. If you're going to make some mistakes along the way, learn from them, get better. Don't try to repeat them. That's it. Hey everyone, it's Semi again, and this is just a quick reminder that by the end of this episode, I will be sharing with you my biggest lessons from this episode, so make sure you stay until the end. If you are enjoying the conversation and are receiving value from it, it would mean the world if you could share it to a friend or if you could subscribe to the podcast to not miss one episode. And going back to the idea of the internal locus of control, um, it's like uh, in that chapter, you you mentioned the idea of flow and the book by Michali, I, I don't remember mm. her. Yeah, good luck saying that last name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he, in that chapter, or, or well, in that part, um, you say that, or I don't remember if it's a quote, but the point is that like, being deliberately um, stretching or going beyond your limits, even if it hurts, it's like that's more fulfilling that, than not um, following uh, through or than not like taking action. And with failure, I would say that many times, like after failure, reflecting, you, you see that that stage is more fulfilling than, than other stages in which you were successful or that's what I can also sort of recall with, with certain experiences um, in my life.
Um, and well, is there anything you would like to to add to that uh, before going into into another part? I think it's pretty well said. If you only do easy things, I think there's a good chance you're going to look back with some regret later on and be like, oh, no, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that, which just goes back to that whole, if you're so afraid of failure that you never even get started, I think that's just a wrong way to approach it. And, you know, you just have to be okay with taking some risk, of course, uh, but, you know, hopefully you try to minimize things the best you can. But again, uh, typically you do hard things. They're just more rewarding. Mm -hmm. well two things i want to unpack here the first one is something i want to mention from the book and the other one is a is a question for you well my, both might be like questions but the first one is that you start um the chapter in which you talk about like having a positive mindset by also telling that like not having a positive mindset and not having like belief for the future um it's not like good for success because then you fall into the uh, downward spiral of negative thinking. And I sort of think that, like, yeah, like failing is okay. And you learn from it also if you have the right mindset to, to face it and grow from it. Because if you don't, you might learn from it, but still like fall into this negative thinking loop, um, which prevents you from taking action from this new point, from this new perspective. Uh, that you have after learning uh, something, but hey, the 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 other question which I wanted to ask you, um, it is about like doing hard uh, hard stuff, stuff that challenges you. How do you personally like train that or try to consistently, if you do, um, like put yourself in tough situations? So I can give fitness as an example. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can just take the easy route. So, you know, before our, uh, before our call today, yeah, I, I was, I literally just ended my workout like 20 minutes before we got on. So when you were like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to be a, a few minutes after I was like, dude, that's fine. Like um, mm -hmm. I was like almost still sweating when we started possible. No worries, man. Like that's perfect. Uh, it could have just very easily been the case where I could have been like, ah, oh, you know, I just shouldn't do this today. Like, ah, oh, you know, like, Oh, I got an interview in a half hour. Oh, I don't know need to do this but no guess what i threw on my weight vest and i you know i did i ran the mile after i was done lifting but like no i didn't want to do that it wasn't fun it wasn't really enjoyable but like i just did it and so you ask again i think a lot of times i think people you know want what they want a secret like what's the secret like how do you do how do you do hard things now my version of hard things are a heck of a lot different than other people's version of hard things right you take someone like uh you know navy seals Or David Goggins, something like that. Like David they're, Goggins. They're, they're doing things that are a million times harder than what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm not trying to say that. But like, what's the secret? The secret's just doing them. Like, just get started. Like, oh, okay, well, how you know, I want to run a couple miles or whatever. Just get on or just just start. Because, you know, minute in, two minutes in, you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't so bad. And then you just do it. And that's it. That goes back to the discipline, of course. But again, a lot of times people are just like, they want this secret. They think that there's some magic secret out there. There's not. Just go do stuff, especially when it comes to fitness or, you know, eating better. A bit more nuance, of course, if you want to talk about other things. There's always nuance involved, of course. But when you boil it down to, like, what's, what's the, the one thing you can do? Just step. Just take a step in that direction where you want to get going. And that's it. The chances are, once you do get started a little bit, yeah, you're going to make, oh, wasn't so bad 
Yeah, the main point is getting started, taking the leap and just taking action. And actually, fun fact, this morning, I also w woke up early to, to do my morning routine and everything. But lately, I haven't been like actually been I haven't been consistent with my morning routine um, because of different things. But today it was like, oh, I want to stay in bed for uh, maybe sleep again for about an hour or something. But then I decided to, yeah, uh, stand up and you know, make my bed, then work out, uh, meditate, read. And I, I didn't have a, a great workout today, but I, I got it done. And that was that was cool. Um, And in the well, the last chapter of the book is recharge, recovery. And yeah, you talk about like how nutrition, um, exercise, sleep and certain activities help you recover. But you also talk about morning routines. And that you've got a morning routine. Could you talk about your uh, routine? Yeah, so I mean that's really funny. That's probably the biggest thing that I've changed since writing this book. So you know, the rough draft was finished probably you know about a year ago or so. Listen, if you have a morning routine, I think that's awesome. And I did for a really long time. Um, but here's the thing that I figured out, and, and honestly, it's a really funny story. It's a pretty short story. I was so good. I just, I wouldn't ever miss a morning. It's just, no, I just did it. I just did it. Just did it. Just do, 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 repeat. It sort of became automatic, but it was never easy. Like, it, boy, there were times I would wake up and say, damn, I don't want to do this. But what happened is I think last holiday season, I had some family in town for like Thanksgiving. And so, you know, like maybe I was staying up a little bit later, you know, just to, you know, hang out with my family or whatever is in town. And all it took was one morning. I was like, nah, I'm just going to sleep in today. So I did that. And then the next day I went to get up and I'm just like, there is no chance I'm doing this. You just, I lost that momentum. I lost the momentum and it was just seemingly gone. Now, again, in my head, I know discipline, just get back on track. But I just, I lost some momentum and it was really hard. But the key for me is I made this switch in my head because there were other times where I had missed a day or so. And I just would like, just, I would basically just give up. Like, oh, I missed it. I just, I'm just not going to do this stuff today. Ah, no, 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 no. I thought to myself, all right, well, instead of getting up at five, I'll sleep in until, you know, like 6.30 or whatever, seven. Why not just, you know, as, maybe I have to take my kids to school, whatever, whatever. But like, what if I just do these things that I was doing earlier? Now, what if I just do them? Everyone doesn't have that flexibility. Now, I work from home. So people have to go to work. People have real lives. So that's the beauty of the morning routine. You get it done before everything else in your day. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just made the switch. I was like, well, why don't I just do these things just a little bit later? The key is just doing them. I don't think there's anything magical about doing them in the morning, except for it's just convenience for a lot of people because you're not competing with work, family, kids, stress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You just get it done in the morning before other people can start to you know, bother you, more or less. That's probably <laughs> the best way to do it. Yeah. So, that's why I love doing it in the morning. That's why I would strongly recommend it if people are really struggling to be, oh, well, you know, oh, my boss made me stay late. And now I can't go work out today. I get it. That's going to happen. Do it before work, before all that. You don't have to worry about it. That stress is gone. So for me, yes, I think you can get up in the morning. You can do all these things. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. Um, but man, I just, I got to be honest, the whole time I was doing it, I just, it, was, it just never got easier. And now maybe that's the case. It just really never truly gets easier. 
but I was like, man, I was kind of just, you know, always tired, like in the afternoon. And I was generally going to bed a little bit earlier too. Usually by like 10, I'd be in bed. So I get up at five, seven hours of sleep. That's not too bad. But then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go to bed at 10, but what if I sleep until like six or six, you know, 30, or, you know, obviously life happens. Maybe I stay up a little bit late till 11. Well, now what if I'm getting up at six? All right, it's still seven hours. So again, I don't think there's anything magical about, you know, 5 a.m. And like, listen, I've read all the books that say that. I'm not against the idea. I think it's a perfectly fine idea. Totally cool. But, you know, be a little flexible with yourself too. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah, well, in my case, I developed uh, my morning routine based on the 5 a.m. club uh, with Robin Ooh. Sharma. And I read that book uh, in early 2020, before the pandemic, actually. And just like two or three weeks before the pandemic hit here in Mexico, um, I started like waking up early. By then, I was waking up at 5 a.m. to actually apply the 2020-20 formula and all that. Um, But then I got sick uh, in the beginning of the pandemic for like a week. And after that, I started like... Um, getting back into my routine but in a slow way so I started to wake up like at seven then at six and then again at 5 30 or something and I think that through the pandemic like my morning routine has actually been very very helpful to stay healthy to actually feel better to keep learning to read like many books to listen to audiobooks and to meditate because like Currently, I would say that the non-negotiable thing in my morning routine most days is the meditation part because I like to do the Wim Hof method and then like meditate or just relax for for some minutes. Um, Then I would say that also an important part and the second non-negotiable is exercise and finally reading, which might be like for people listening, that might be a surprise or anything because of what I share in my social media in my social media because i only share that i read and stuff but the point is that for me actually waking up early uh like very late at 6 30 a.m has been very like productive and fulfilling i the process has become easier and it is actually something that i enjoy and to your point of like it is for for some people um, it works better to wake up early. I would say that's also my case because mm-hmm. like afterwards I've got school or also stuff with my podcast or with my page or, you know, the entrepreneurial stuff, but also because like in the morning there's peace, <laughs> like I am yeah. alone yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I enjoyed that. Um, but hey, I wanted like to, to, to ask currently when you do your morning routine, when you have uh, apply the things you used to do, um, like in the very early morning. Um, what do you do? What are like these activities? What, uh, what and why um, do you do you train your mind and yourself in different ways? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, real quick, I want to make one note. So when you were talking about when the pandemic hit, you were, you know, you were kind of, you were getting more into the morning routine, right? And like, it was a little bit impacted while you're sick, whatever. Here's the cool part. If we go back to internal locus of control, the entire world has gone mad, COVID, everything. You can't control that, right? You, you're not the president. You're not whatever the most important person in the world. You can't control that. 
What can you control in your own life? Your habits, your routines. So for me, that was big. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't getting up. I didn't have to take my kids to school or whatever during the pandemic. So what could I control? Again, bad things are going on in my life. Okay, I can't control all of that. What can I control? I could control when I get up. I could control my habits, routines. I could, you know, reading, working out, uh, mindfulness. I could control all that. That is huge. A lot of people, you know, my company, um, you know, some of our customers, whatever, there were kind of like two ways. People were like, pandemic hit, I fell off my nutrition, things are crazy. On the other side, there were people that were like, oh, this is great. I can now control my nutrition. Nutrition is the one thing that I can control. Same with fitness. Yes, my gym is closed. Guess what, RP, do you have gym-free templates? Can I work out at home? Oh, we sure do. Now, again, it was sort of two paths. Oh, I can't go to my gym. I'm going to quit working out. Okay. Hey, fair. I'm not here to judge. Life is super stressful. COVID, crazy. You want to go that route? It's not my job to tell you if that's right or wrong. Flip side of that, people are like, I work from home. When do I want to work out? I don't have to wait until after. So again, control the things you can control. Fitness, nutrition, what you're eating, these are things you can control. It's a beautiful thing. Gives people a lot of power back. It empowers them when the world has gone mad around them. Okay, <laughs> now back to your question. Uh, I now read. When I wake up in the morning, that's the first thing I do is I usually just start reading. I kind of, you know, I'll just take some supplements, whatever, whatever. But, but uh, later on in the morning, usually late morning, is when I train. Uh, practice some sort of mindfulness every single day. When I do that, uh, so some of it's just flexible, but like, do I think people should meditate? Yes, I do. I think that's a fantastic thing. Um, for me, the biggest takeaway from just being more mindful is you develop this self-awareness. And that is probably one of the biggest things that I have changed over the last couple of years is honestly, I can feel myself getting frustrated or upset by things. And I notice it now and I'm like, huh. Uh, can I control this? No. Okay, maybe I shouldn't be so angry. Okay. Now I'm calm. I make better choices. You know, if I'm on the phone chatting with someone, I don't need to bite their head off. They can't, you know, they're just doing their job. Usually if you go in very aggressive, do you get better outcomes? Probably not. Be nice to them. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this all the time, of course, because I Ever had one recent example where like I literally had a call 20 times to get so so yes, I did get a little frustrated towards the end, but again, like that's the cool thing when you really just stick to mindfulness every day, you become more self-aware. Mm-hmm. When you become more self-aware, you just you you catch yourself in the ways that you think in, in the way that you feel. And if you react less emotionally, more logically, more rationally, you're probably going to make much better choices. So mindfulness, reading, and actually also developing your your body and your nutrition. Those are the key things. And well, I want to mention two things. So first, going back into the idea of controlling what you can control. And well, also into the idea of mindfulness. Meditation and mindfulness uh, itself, those things have helped me like be more grateful and also self-aware 
and not complain about anything because right now I, I wouldn't say I am a person who complains a lot. I mean, I do complain, but not a lot. And, you know, I recently read in a book, it's called Focus by Daniel Goldman. And in one chapter, he talks about this thing in our brain called the insula and how like that's a part of our brain that helps us like be physically like self-aware, like to feel your heartbeat and to feel uh, your your lungs uh, breathing and to feel your body in general. And he talks about how like developing these skills of like, yeah, physical and physiological mindfulness also allow you to be more like self-aware in other situations, in other situations as, yeah, like your professional life and all that, but also in your interactions and in your habits and then your behaviors and how you live life. And that's something that I have liked. And again, I would say that like a very life changing thing in my life has been my morning routine because through my morning routine, I have been able to develop mindfulness and read stuff like this, uh, and like this idea from the book of Daniel Goldman. And I, I really think it's something like very interesting, the, how our body works and how we actually can develop this self-awareness to, to, to be better. I, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. I don't have much to add. I think that's spot on. You just, you, you develop good self-awareness. I think it's going to positively change a lot of things in your life. And um, again, it's not going to happen overnight. Success doesn't happen overnight. I don't care what you're doing. But you just keep at it. You just keep doing it. And like you said, like you actually said this morning, you didn't have a good workout, but guess what? Like you're probably a little bit better off because you chose to just go ahead and do it anyways. By and large, again, I hear myself saying these things and I think like, just cause I know my background's fitness. I think that, oh, well, you could very easily overdo it, of course, which is why we have a recharge in there. There's always nuance involved. But chances are you're better off for doing what you did this morning even if it wasn't great because you just kind of had the discipline to do it. So again, just develop that self-awareness, keep doing the little things day by day. It's going to add up to big changes over time. Mm -hmm. Well, you also like now getting into another part, you talk about, uh, well, getting back into failure, about how we as humans like um, learn by trial and error and like by improving and pivoting. Um, and yeah, by learning from our mistakes. But then you also talk about how in school many times we're encouraged not to make mistakes and punished if we do make mistakes. Could you get into this idea and also share your opinion on like this this situation of like this part of how we are educated? Yeah, so traditional schooling, right? Uh, there's a, there's a wrong and right, and if you don't get it right, then you know you kind of do get marked down or whatever. And I think you know, listen, there's some good things to learn from that. Of course, you just need to develop basic intelligence and learn you know basic facts, all that stuff. And by and large, with when it comes to facts and all this stuff, you know, something like math, well, you either know it or you don't. Um, but again, for a lot of people out there. I think there's a little bit more to success than just, you know, IQ and intelligence. Like there's emotional intelligence, there's, you know, some social intelligence and things like that. And, and um, there, there has to be a way for you to do things. And you're if you know, you're never going to be perfect. Well, you know, you're going to make some mistakes. 
So you kind of have to know that, right? The consistency is more important than perfection. That's probably a big takeaway. But you wouldn't really be rewarded for that in school. If you're like, oh, hey, teacher, yes, I got these 10 things wrong. I got them wrong last time too. I'm being consistent. Uh, well, you know, that's, you just have to know, right? You just, there's just differences. Sometimes you just got to play the game the way it is and, you know, do your best. But maybe keep in mind, that's why I would say, you know, go to school, learn all those things you're supposed to learn. But boy, <coughs> excuse me, boy, oh boy, on the outside, you should be running, reading other books, listening to podcasts. Right? That's the cool thing about the internet. You can learn a lot. It is. And if you do that, combine that with what you're learning in school and you're probably going to have better overall outcomes. Yeah. And I think, uh, like, not selfishly, but I would say that I can notice that a lot in my life. I With school, especially because, like, in my school, we learn a lot about science and mathematics and stuff. For many projects and different things, I relate them or make these projects about stuff I read in books. So I like five months ago did a presentation um, about uh, Tony Robbins and priming and uh, how you change your physical state and all that. And yeah, most certainly like merging different ways of learning and not just like the traditional way and what they tell you to do is what leads you to different outcomes. And well, now talking about success, which is something you, you also talked about. And that is the main point of the book. How do you define success? Like for yourself, but also how can we each define what success is for, for us? When you started asking that question, I kind of thought you were going to ask that. What's the definition of success? Well, that's really interesting. Well, I don't have a great answer because mm -hmm. it's a little bit different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, how I define success for myself is could be entire, could be complete 180 from how you define success. That's the cool part, right? But usually if you want to get success in whatever it is you want, well, you're probably going to have to do a lot of these things listed. And if you do these things that are listed in the book, you're going to be successful. What that exact path and outcome is doesn't really much matter to me because you can do whatever you want, right? And if you're successful and you enjoy doing what you're doing, then you know, don't negatively impact others. Cool. Have at it. I love freedom. So. Mm -hmm. No, but yeah, we each like define success in our own, in our own terms, but there are still like universal things. And I think that's also why your book is like very useful for any definition of success, whether it is like in sports or in business or in school or in another project or with family or, Or, or whatever, and it is something really actionable. I like that in each chapter, in at the end you sh share a note on how to apply like the the main ideas uh, from the book. Well, so let, let me say this. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a definition of success: positively making a difference in other people's lives. Because I don't know what do entrepreneurs do. Well, we're solving problems. Yeah. Fitness. What do we do? We help people get in shape. You help people reach their fitness goals. I don't care what your fitness goals are. You want to lose weight, look leaner or whatever. Awesome. We are fantastic at helping with that. You want to gain muscle and get stronger. Awesome. We can help with that. You want to improve your sport performance. Awesome. We can help with that. So, again, you know, just positively make a difference in people's lives. And if you can do that, you know, take a veterinarian or something like they're, I think if they save an animal or something, how happy, you know, one, the animal's better off, which is cool. But like two, think about the family that, you know, 
that that's their pet or whatever, like you're making a huge impact. You're, you're helping and you, you can extrapolate that out to, you know, almost anything. And if you are positively helping other people, boy, that's really hard to say that you're not successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, many people throughout history have like talked about how fulfillment and success is serving and impacting in a positive way um, others lives and i like that you talked about entrepreneurship because actually i want to that to dive into that and also talk about your business um and i won't start like by talking about how like maybe there's still uh, a perspective about entrepreneurship and business being a way only to exchange and for me for an individual to 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 gain something to earn something but it's mostly about like the the experience and also what you give um and like the most successful companies in the world are companies which like impact a lot others lives like uh apple uh gives and gave me this computer for me to record these things and like this iphone and and whatever amazon lets me like buy books and they are impacting um others lives so what do you think of this like new perspective let's call it that way of business and also how are you trying to apply this idea of success into uh into your uh business how do you become successful in business you have to help as many other people as you possibly can that is the beauty of capitalism a lot of people want to dog on capitalism but 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 but, but. let me give you this Because people are like, oh, well, capitalism, you can exploit people. Okay, maybe, but that's short-sighted. And you're not going to be successful in the long run by doing that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not going to focus on those people because the, I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's just, I don't like it. That's shady. That's whatever, whatever. That's a short-term time horizon. I don't like that. You want to be successful in the long term. You have to help people. You have to help as many people as you can make a positive impact and as many people as lives as you can. The cool part of that, and the cool part of how, how you make money as a business, and it, like, it seems selfish, but at the same time, it's the exact opposite of selfishness because you're helping as many people as you can. That's our goal. We want to help as many people as we can reach their fitness goals. How do we do that? Well, we have to create products that are scalable, that can reach hundreds of thousands of people. I, I can only do so much as a personal coach, which is why we scaled that into digital products and you know, hiring more coaches and then into an app. Like, Now it's in the app store. Now we can help, you know, potentially millions of people around the world. That's great. Now at the same time, like, does it help me? You know, because now if our company is successful, now I'm, you know, more successful. Yes, of course. So you could say, well, that's selfish. You know, that's greed. Well, you're not successful without helping other people. So that's the cool part. That's how I turn to view it. And now again, maybe I have optimism bias there. I don't know, maybe. But again, like, that's how you become successful in the long term. You have to do good things for other people because if you try, you know, robbing people and stealing people and being too greedy, you're not going to win out in the long term. You don't catch up with you. You have to think, how can I help people for the long term? And if you have a longer term time horizon, you're going to be more successful. Yeah. Going back into the seven habits of highly effective people, like the main point of the habits is like, sustainability and one of the habits is to think win-win and if you do not think win-win then like it's not sustainable if you think 
like lose win so that you lose and like the other person wins it isn't sustainable either because you like greg McEwen talks about this idea of protecting the asset um and about like investing your in yourself and like to be able to impact others if you are not like winning if you are not becoming successful you cannot like also make help other people become become successful in the in the long term so it's yeah it's a situation it's a, it is a win-win situation and one thing i think about like you talking about capitalism and how it might be uh greedy or uh selfish is um well i relate i, I relate that like to the new growing industry of space travel and how richard branson and jeff bezos and elon musk are like hugely criticized for wanting to leave earth in a in a certain way um but like until a certain point i disagree with that because they are like yeah creating new jobs they are expanding the limits of humanity they are helping like social um progress and it's that's like business that's successful business um and now i think like for example with many online uh businesses when, with many online entrepreneurs they are mostly scammers um but that's not sustainable since they only last for like a few months or a few years and i think that's like mostly seen in marketing stuff and in fitness stuff you as a let's say fitness fitness expert uh or expert in your field what are your thoughts on that, like on fitness scammers on online and fitness entrepreneurs with, who rob and steal people? I think it's super short-sighted. I think it's just, uh, it's just making sense. You want to steal people's money, you want to, they pay you $500 for a program and you never respond to them. Okay. Do you only want $500? Because that's what, like, that's what you're going to get. Now, the beauty of, you know, quote-unquote capitalism is, is, is that sort of inherent selfishness, uh, maybe a little bit of greed, whatever you want to call it. But like, no, I don't want $500. I want $5,000. So I'm going to do an incredible job with this one person. They're going to love it so much that they're going to keep paying me 10 times for 10 more programs. Because I'm going to do um, everything I can to, be, to help that person. And that is the right approach because that is the longer term approach. And that's the beauty of it. Now, again, are there people out there? Yes, there are people out there that are going to try to take advantage of that. But by and large, the beauty of it is you want to help as many people as you can and do as good of a job for people in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the long term. Because I don't want $500. I want a lot more than that. So I'm going to make sure I do as good of a job with that one person as I can, because not only are they gonna keep paying me, probably, but now they're going to go tell their friends. And now I've generated more business because I did a good job. So if you are short-sighted and you try to treat people poorly, you're, you're dumb. I'm sorry, you're, that's a dumb, that is a mistake. That is a dumb thing to do. Because you're basically saying, I, I only am interested in short-term outcomes. No, long-term outcomes. Yeah, have you read uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey? Uh, I, ha I have not. Um, I have it on um, audiobook, though. So at some point, I'll listen to it. Yeah, well, in, in a part of the book, Matthew talks about how sometimes, sometimes, 
the most selfish act as the most selfless act. And I relate that to this idea of, okay, if I want to earn $5,000 in the right way, in a sustainable way, I gotta like help the other person. It's, it's the, the example that you gave that like you gotta keep people in your ecosystem, but for them to stay in your ecosystem, in your business ecosystem, you get to actually help them and add real value to them. And that's again, what Apple does, what Amazon, what um, Starbucks does, what all those big companies Amazon. Do. Are you kidding me? I can get whatever I want. Like basically next day, like Amazon's amazing. Now again, you know, people want to criticize it. I'm not saying they're perfect. By saying that I like something doesn't mean that I endorse every single thing that they do. Uh, of course, there's people have a hard time with there, but like they can get you anything that you want pretty much next day. That, that's an amazing idea. Like how good do we have it in the world where we can basically get whatever we want delivered to our doorstep like next day? Could you imagine telling someone that a hundred years ago? They'd be like, you're out of your mind. So again, think about how grateful we are to live in the best time ever to be alive. How amazing everything is that we have by and large, even after COVID. And so, I don't know, I just, I love that perspective of looking at things because it's a little bit easier to be grateful for everything that we have uh, rather than, you know, trying to pull holes and everything. But at the same time, on the flip side, you can always get better, right? So we can always get better. We can always do things to improve. So that's probably a big takeaway. Yeah, but yeah, man, at the end of the day, uh, this has been a really great conversation. Um, you're like 15, right? 16. <laughs> 16. Okay. Yeah, dude, you're, you're well ahead of the curve. That's really awesome. Uh, you know, that self-awareness is something I wish I had at 16 because, you know, I didn't get it till I was probably, let's call it like 30. So, well, man, thanks for, th thanks for coming and thanks for the conversation. I'm sorry for the internet problems and, and everything, but you know, just one final question. I usually ask to, to my guests because my podcast is called the transformation journeys. Like how, how do you define transformation and how do you approach it? And I think your response will be something interesting based on your pick. Just getting better, just improving. Transformation can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. It doesn't have to be visual. It just means getting better. Just getting out there and getting a little bit better. Just improving from what you were before to what you are now. Just keep going about that. Great. Well, um, Nick, thanks for coming on my podcast. It's really been great. Um, and well, I will add your uh, your webpage and your Instagram. Hello again, this is your host Emiliano coming to wrap up the episode. I hope that today's conversation was enjoyable and valuable to you. If it was, please consider sharing it to a friend and subscribing to the show. Remember that you can keep receiving value from the Reader Lounge by following on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find the links to those platforms in the description of the episode. If you'd like to buy today's guest's book, you can find the link to it in the description too. That has been it for today. I wish you have a happy and prosperous day ahead or a fulfilling and peaceful afternoon otherwise. My name is Emiliano. This was the Book Talk Lounge brought to you by the Reader Lounge. I'll speak to you in the next episode. Peace.